everyone, how are you doing? It's Yuli here. I'm your host for the show and for today's episode. And in this episode today, I have a really interesting and cool guest. I'm speaking to Chris Newman. He's the founder and CEO of Metrics. Uh, he's also considered to be a growth hacker as well, based on his career. So Chromatrics is formed by approximately 40 to 50 people uh, between full-time employees and contractors, and they're all fully remote, they're distributed across the US. So we'll talk to Chris about how they're actually making uh, it work uh, on a 50 people remote work company. So things you learned in today's episode are the following. You learn what is zero and why you should definitely care about it and definitely why should everyone care about it. You learn how Chris establishes company culture in his remote company. You will learn about their hiring process and things they're doing to hire the best people they can. You'll learn advices for other SaaS founders, which Chris uh, can recommend and much, much more. I hope you enjoy. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, I thought maybe we could start by you introducing yourself. Uh, maybe you can let our audience, everyone listening in, uh, who you are and what do you do? So I'm Chris Newman. I'm the founder and CEO of Chromatrics. We're a conversion rate optimization firm. So we work on, we do A-B testing for a large number, a number of large companies and small companies. Um, We've got about 50 customers now. We've been growing really rapidly. So about 7% per month compounded for the last four plus years. So uh, we have a fully remote team distributed all throughout the United States. Uh, 33 full-time employees right now and probably another 12 or 15 contractors. So maybe somewhere between 40 and 50 people. Um, Again, fully distributed. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And where in the world do I find you right now? Just to put, uh, I guess, location. I actually am in Kenfield, California, which is about 15 miles north of the Golden Gate Bridge in, in California. Very cool. Um, before we delve into some of the elements of uh, remote work and this part of your company, I thought maybe just a great starting point of the conversation can be about CRO. I mean, being the CRO expert, and yep, it's part of your name of the company. I just thought maybe you can briefly talk about what is CRO and maybe why people should care and pay attention to it? Sure. So the way I like to think about it, um, if I talk to people that have no idea what we do, I say we make the web easier to use because everyone's had some experience where they're buying something online and it's like, why are they making it so hard to give me my money, right? <laughs> <laughs> but really what we're doing I is we're bringing... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone can identify with that. Um, sort of like the grandmother test. But um, uh, what... I, we're doing here is bringing science to a previously pretty squishy topic of marketing, right? So, you know, every site will start off with something like, you know, the a creative agency might help design the first version of the site. But then uh, maybe everybody in the company often will have some idea for how to improve the site, right? It's common for people not in marketing to have ideas for what marketing should do. Um, so instead of just like trying to, push back all those ideas or even fight with other VPs and other the CEO and whoever else has ideas in the company. Now we can bring some science to that. So the scientific method is have a hypothesis, test the hypothesis, and then if it's verified to be better, then go with it, right? So the CRO is conversion rate optimization. So conversion rate is how many people came to your website and then the rate is how many people did the thing that you hoped for them to do, right? Not just buy, 
but it might be a lead gen site. So we're hoping that they submit a lead or do whatever, right? Um, so in this case, we might have um, maybe somebody cares about the homepage headline. That's a very high leverage test. What does the homepage say when you first come to it? So it says one thing, some people think it should say something else. So now we'll take that idea. Maybe we'll take two or three different ideas. So one third of the people get the original version. One third people get the CEO's idea. One third of the people get the marketing person's idea. Great. So now we just run this. We do some statistics to make sure we have a, a statistically valid sample. And then uh, we see which one resulted in more people buying or signing up. Right. So it's really hard to beat. Uh, if you have the data, if I have the data and you have the opinions, your opinions, my data is almost always going to beat your opinions. And if not, like sometimes like maybe the CEO just doesn't want to put that thing on the homepage because it's off brand or whatever, that, that's fine. That's that's a, just a discussion of like how much it's going to cost then. Got it. So basically you help companies grow and CRO I mean, is helping companies grow. You mentioned there are sometimes high leverage tests. I thought for a moment uh, you can just talk about other specific patterns, behaviors, channels, or high leverage tests, as you mentioned, which are more popular or great starting points for someone just to really try and go there, which usually can produce a higher result than others. Is there something like this on average for most companies? Yeah, so we often get people wanting to do like full page redesigns or, or big, huge changes. They're like, we need to do a big brand refresh or some massive change. And we find that actually um, headline tests or copy tests are actually the high, one of the highest leverage tests because they're simple to implement um, and are more likely to move the needle on terms of like what, you know, did we get more people to sign up? The opposite of that is um, image tests often don't work very well because ultimately these tests, the ideas have to be helping people make a decision to move forward, right? So if you can, if we worked on an African safari site, and so that was a case where an image test really made a big difference because you could show them like, oh, this is what it's like to be in that safari that you'll come on. Whereas if you're a B2B middleware, this stuff's really hard to explain what it is. So what promise are we making to the person coming to the website? Um, the copy actually will be very effective. And actually for your listeners, I'll just go through one of my favorite little hacks. It's a takeaway. Is I like to use something like delighted.com, which implements um, the net promoter score plus Y. So you ask people zero to 10, how likely are you to recommend this thing to your whatever? So you send that to your customers. Look at the nines and tens. These are the people who are providing value that they can't get elsewhere. And then look at what they said for why. But why is often very simple, plain language that you would not think of on your own and is great for ad copy or homepage headline copy or just understanding what value you're bringing to those customers who are getting the most value from your actual service. So mm -hmm. you should send it to the customers who have been through the entire life cycle, whatever you sell or offer or whatever. Nice. So like basically using the same language the customer is actually using and trying and doing in your A-B tests. That's cool. Exactly. What are they going to tell their friends about why your thing's awesome? Cool. Cool. So I thought we can shift it a bit uh, about and talking about the remote part of the company. So you mentioned you're a fully remote company. Um, I'm wondering why did you decide to be fully remote if uh, right now everyone is indeed uh, fully remote? Yeah, so it started. I've got a background in doing this. It came. It was originally born from a place of, I'm in San Francisco. The cost of labor here is incredibly expensive. I know there's great people not in San Francisco. Maybe I can hire them and sort of do geo arbitrage. 
Um, and so I had built, I was one of the very first ODES customers back in like 2006. I remember um, them, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've used them for a long time and I've worked with teams in all over the world. And so it sort of came as a, a place of necessity, but as I've gotten bigger and now we have more structure to the team, I found it's been an increasingly large competitive advantage. So whereas I thought it was really going to be difficult to maintain that, it's actually become much better than I thought, which is awesome. Why is it a competitive advantage for you? Well, so um, other other competitors in my space or anyone else's space have only their local area to hire from. So here in San Francisco, conversion rate optimization professionals and engineers would be good at this or plentiful, but they're expensive and they could go work at Facebook, Uber, Google, Netflix, eBay, Yahoo. <laughs> it's just like a really long list of companies they could go work at. Um, but I can go outside San Francisco. I can go to the entire country. Right now, we're only hiring the U.S. because I want to be able to comply with all the local labor laws. And there's a lot of people here that I can hire. But I could also really consider the entire world if I wanted to. So it's a much bigger labor pool and a lot deeper. I just have a lot more people available to work with me. And those people often are in a place where, um, you know, they just they don't have a lot of jobs that are interesting to them. Yeah, you mentioned that you're mainly hiring in the USA due to uh, labor laws. I mean, and you don't, I guess you don't going outside the US because you don't really know which country's laws. Um, if you, if this would not be a friction for you, would you actually go and hire people around the world? Yeah, I've hired, I've built teams in Ukraine and India before. Um, I've had a few people in South America. Those are all great places. I think the thing with the CRO is that okay. something like Ukraine, um, they have great engineering talent there, or much of Eastern Europe is like that. Really great engineering talent, um, but the back and forth with the time zones would be really um, tough for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, early on in Chrometrics time, I did I did do some of that. I just found it was it was harder to work with that the time zone thing. The time zone thing is is probably the much is the biggest problem more than labor laws. Yeah, I agree. This is a serious friction, and I guess that everyone in the States um, can really help because you're all in the same time zone. Communication can flow uh, quicker in your company, I guess. Right, and we're a, very, we're a client services company with, you know, as much as the conversion rate optimization plant the, um, projects are miniature software development projects, that back and forth has to happen really fast. Like uh, a two-week agile cycle is too slow for us. We need to we turn things around in a couple of days rather than a couple of weeks. All right, so basically you're all distributed right now across the country. So I wanted, I guess, to ask about uh, your company culture. I read partially uh, on your website when I was doing some prep work about your culture, and I think it's a really wonderful page. I really liked it. Uh, You wrote beautiful things there. My question, I guess, is without going into specific details of it, what do you do to make sure your company actually lives and breathes this culture? I mean, is there specific things you're doing to instill this, and especially when everyone is remotely, I mean, usually you don't see face-to-face. Um, are there some things which help you really instill it and maintain a culture between everyone kind of across the company? Yeah, it's actually a great question. I work really hard at it. I think this is the biggest leverage thing I can do as a CEO almost. We don't have outside funding, so often CEOs have to go raise money. So if I take that away, then the CEO has to be sort of the best salesperson, then also make sure we have good people working here. 
Um, and so that culture is by far the biggest leverage for me. I can't spend as much time as I would like to with every single individual person here. So uh, the culture is where I can hopefully at least have a shared set of decision-making tools. Um, so I work really hard at it. Um, even the chrometrics.com slash culture page you recommend you um, referenced, we spent a bunch of time collaborating on it. And so it's not just Chris's ideas of the world pushed down onto the rest of the team. It's actually the opposite. The, many of the people on the team have brought our core culture points to, to the company. So the idea of radical candor, I don't like the nomenclature of radical candor, but I love the idea of what it is, right? The idea of, hey, if there's some kind of challenge going on, we should speak to the person about it and not just sort of pretend like it doesn't exist. It's better to actually give the feedback and, and try to help the person improve, yeah. right? But it's, it's challenging. Like in the US culture, it's the idea, the default is like, don't give feedback unless someone asks. Um, so it, it's, it's a difficult shift. And I think, so radical candor was brought by someone else, or I think that probably the number, number one thing is being client oriented or customer, customer first. So do right by the customer is what we call it. But, um, you know, there's in that paragraph, we talk about customer then like, you know, is greater than team is greater than individual. Um, I took that from HubSpot's culture deck. Or I directly quoted some stuff from Netflix. Netflix is. I love our culture deck, yeah. Yeah, so I've taken some stuff from there. Um, so it's something we're constantly working on. We've actually got a person who is like a, a performance coach here. They're like a licensed therapist. So they're working with us on interpersonal skills and things like that. Um, so I think that just having a good place to work, I, I want this to be the place where people can do the best work of their career. And because we work with, we've worked with hundreds of companies over the years, we sort of are close enough to them to like look under the covers of what their company is like. And, you know, like, huh, I like, I can see what that is, but I don't want to work there kind of thing happens sometimes. And I've tried to take some of those lessons and make this into the place that I want to work. And I think that the idea of like, okay, how can we make this a place that's the best work of your career? Um, sort of encompasses a lot of that, right? Like usually it's something that's the company is doing to block that and I and I don't want to do it. Um, so it's a collaborative effort. And then I think another thing we do is it's like book clubs. So we've had a few book clubs on how do we manage the company? Um, like our across most recent one. Across the whole company, everyone reads the same book? Uh, both, both across the whole company and then also within management. Like we'll often start it with management and if we like mm -hmm. the book, then we'll try to bring it to the rest of the company. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes the rest of the company will work on a book that's not, that's just sort of everybody instead of just management. So two examples, we just read this book, Prime to Perform, we really liked. And then uh, that was the management one. Now we're rolling it out to the whole company. And then the whole company read uh, the classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's classic, um, yeah. Yeah. So, that, you know, they're they're kind of interesting books, but then uh, I think it helps with both personal and company performance to do some of that stuff. I agree. How do you allow your team and anyone joining in Chrometrics to do their best work? Other other things which are involved in this to actually give them maybe the platform or the environment to do their best? Uh... Well, so that Prime to Perform book actually maps it to this idea of play. So like allowing people to sort of, people don't, aren't doing the job because of the money. Like that's a common misconception. They're doing it, the money so, yeah. is required but they're doing it because they like the work. 
right? So how do I, if I'm putting in rules and procedures to make them not do their best work, um, that's how I block them. What I'd rather do is allow them flexibility to have some creativity within the area that's their area of domain expertise and let them run with it, right? And so um, to the extent we're able to do that, that's great. Another thing I did was um, at our most recent all hands workation, I spent an hour with each individual person one-on-one -on -one to like understand what motivated them personally or what was blocking them from doing their best work. And so, you know, made it a few changes based on that. Like a funny example was one person said that they were worried because I called them up randomly. Sometimes I'll just call people to check in if I'm driving somewhere like, Hey, I haven't talked in a while. Okay. So I called him up and he was like, ah, I was worried. I got a call from the boss. And I was going to get fired. And I was like, <laughs> Well, you know, you don't have to worry about that. But also I thought about it. And I was like, if he's got even an inkling in his mind that I'm going to randomly call him up and fire him, then that means other people must have this idea as well. So I do not want everyone, anyone to ever think there might randomly get a call from the CEO and get fired. <laughs> That's just not how we operate here. So what we did was we instituted a, a, a performance improvement process, which was most companies, by the time you get on some PIP, it's like a formality on the way to getting fired. We have the opposite of that. We put you on a PIP early, and the purpose of the PIP is to have an all hands on deck effort to fix whatever was, you know, leading to maybe underperformance. Um, mm -hmm. And so we've had a few of those, and they've been very, very successful. And that way, everyone can go to work and never worry about, am I going to get fired from this place randomly? Obviously, it's subject to like if you did something illegal or something like obviously it demands immediate firing. Fine, but like. So it's way less likely in a remote team as well. Removing this general fear so people can focus on their work or any fears. Right. I think they should be able to take some like run some experiments. If something messes up, oh well, messed up. Right. Like we had someone do something that cost like fifteen thousand dollars a few uh, months ago. And I was like, oh well, you know, that's the first mess up we've had in a couple of years on that. Um he's like, ah, oh, he was very nervous about it and thanking me profusely. And I was like, you know, hey, look, like this stuff's going to happen. Let's not worry about it. The main thing is like, let's improve and go forward. Very so. cool. Very cool. Um, I thought maybe you can talk a bit about uh, your hiring. Uh, since you're hiring everyone remotely and you want to hire great people to do their best work, are there specific things you're looking for in the applicants in the hiring process? So maybe some things you're doing specifically since you're really hiring everyone across the whole states right now? Yeah, so this is um, an area that I've spent a lot of time as well, and I hopefully don't give too many nice competitors aren't watching this, although they're all not remote. So um, so uh, a couple of things that I do is I make it easy to apply for the job. So if you want to be a conversion rate optimization professional here, you can go and read about our company and look at the culture and that sort of thing. And then you can apply with a very simple form. But the form is designed in such a way that it's easy for someone who's a professional in our space to apply and hard for someone who isn't. So you just send in your LinkedIn resume and then there's a question that's like, what's your favorite optimization tool? Or what are some interesting test results you've got done? We're not really in a position to train people up from scratch right now. So someone who's run some tests will be able to answer that very easily. Someone who hasn't just can't fill it out and so they're not really qualified for the job. Um, so that's been really useful. And then once, they, once they're past that, we put them into this paid interview process. 
So we've got a few very small deliverables. I always was annoyed with companies where they go through this long back and forth, like not paid interview process. Often companies make you spend tons of time doing what ends up being free work. And I never agreed with that. What I'd prefer to do is have you do almost no work to get into the interview process. Then we hire you as a contractor for a very short period of time, like while you're running through this interview process. So that way you can feel good about getting paid, even if it doesn't work out. Um, And then that interview process consists of you following a few steps. We've got some basic deliverables about how you'd react to client calls or how you deal with certain situations. And it culminates in a mock mock call. We're like doing a, a, this is for the product manager part of the position. The engineering side is a little different because it's, um, it can be a contractor first more easily. Um, but for the product manager job where you're hire or not, um, then it culminates in this mock call where we're sort of seeing how you handle a normal online call, very much like the one we're in now. And then um, we can do a yes, no decision based on that. But this thing, and we also give them access to Slack and a lot of our internal tools. So by the time uh, they get through the interview process, it's sort of a really good two-way filter where they've been able to look through our Slack because we're fully remote. Everything that's ever happened here is on Slack. There's no sort of back channel, hallway conversation stuff. Like go to our culture channel, scroll back as far as you want, right? Like see the discussion about whether we should take a porn site and how we decided not to, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, that sort of stuff's actually really useful. Now they know what they're signing up for. We never, I never want people to sign up here and then find less out, surprises like, to them basically no surprises right and both sides right maybe they look through it and they don't like what they see so they can drop out of the interview process as well and i don't feel bad about that so um that's allowed us to really attract some very top talent um it's been uh, a big competitive advantage for us as well very nice um so you grew basically from zero you start a company and right now you are almost 40 People, uh, how is it different running a remote company which has five people, 10 people, and the amount of people you have right now? What are the differences? Uh, I think the way I think about it, um, the big difference from my perspective as the CEO has been the level of indirection and less time with each individual person. So when it was me and three people, we could, our first all hands meetup was like me and two people in Austin, right? Um, we just went to a, hung out a little bit. Um, and then, um, you know, as I had more and more direct reports, I had to get managers in there. So now I had to learn to manage managers who are dealing with other people. So that's the level we're at now, but very soon we'll probably have managers who are managing managers. And so how do we maintain the culture, right? Like I've had to put an increasing amount of work into culture building over time and less time into, you know, I was up late at night figuring out how CSS selectors work inside of Optimizely, that's very different from where I'm at today, right? So I have to, I think we think about it as firing myself as many jobs as possible. Um, but I think that the that's thing- That's the founder, from, yeah. Yeah, but that, that's not that much of a different thing from remote. With remote, actually there are some differences. There's actually not a lot of data. Like there's not that many remote teams out there. It's so, relatively new, yeah. Relatively yeah, speaking. it's relatively new, right? Because the tools are available, right? Like we have the we're on Zoom. It's like we're almost in the same room. It's the Zoom tools are great. Slack's out there. It's like the ability to collaborate across distances is way better than ever used to. Great. Ever used to be. So um, now that it's possible, we're sort of figuring this stuff out. And I think um, 
like in person actually is a, a big deal. So we, we do an all hands meet up once a year, but I'm trying to think about how do we meet up more frequently. Um, and people do get together when they're in the same area. Like one person went to Disneyland on, or Disney World on vacation and the person is near her, uh, near Disneyland. They met up and had a drink or whatever. So a little bit of that does happen too. Hmm. Very cool. And you mentioned like Zoom and Slack. Are there any other must-have tools that your team is using in general to collaborate or really to make sure everything is actually happening and running? Um, so the Alassian products like uh, Jira, uh, we are, we're on Trello, but looking at switching to Jira. Um, Gusto is a total lifesaver for us because of registering all these different states um, and paying all the payroll like normally companies all in one state right if you're in a bunch of different states making payroll is a mess um so payroll stuff let me think about it whether those are the big ones really think about what bills come in every month it's slack it's trello slash jira zoom has been great oh we've had to figure out so you can see this headset i have on okay it's a Blackwire, this Plantronics, it's the only one that's got an active noise canceling microphone it's designed for noise, high, high noise environments. So like we have people working from coffee shops, right? So like if you're in a coffee shop, you're like dealing with mute all the time. But with this headset, it's actually fairly effective at canceling out all the background noise. So we've tested every headset out there. And this is the one that's the most effective. So when people sign up here, like that's the first thing we do is mail them a Blackwire headset. So that what's the name of the headset? I'll make sure to include Plantronics Blackwire. Um, okay, I'll I don't remember the, the but it's I'll the one with the active this. noise. It's about one hundred fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. But the active noise canceling microphone is the key. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's an amazing tip. Like, there, it's such a friction if you can have a proper conversation. I think. Uh, when you're working with someone in the same room and then just so much time spent on just making sure this call will go through is a big friction. Right, yeah, you become good at remote diagnosing sort of uh, remote call issues. <laughs> but I think that the the background noise allows people to have more flexibility in what they're doing, right? And that's why the headset I got, I thought was so important. I like it. Um, which challenges of remote work you think haven't been solved yet since your remote company for many years? Are there some challenges in general, maybe you or thing in general in the remote work world, which are still out there to be solved? I don't know that it's remote work necessarily, but I would say the challenges are always just people challenges. Like how do we improve our processes? How do we help one another collaborate? I think about how do we improve our relationships with our customers? Like, I don't want to be just some like machine that they think about. I want to help our customers be really successful. So how can we help our customers be successful both in their personal and professional lives, right? Like mm-hmm. not just make them lots of money, but also how do we help them get promoted or just sort of take over the world um, in whatever they're trying to do. Um, so I think about it's the interpersonal stuff I think is the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity. Right, so if you think about this, how can I give some feedback to someone else in my team, or actually even harder is how can I get them to give me some feedback? <laughs> um, oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, right. Like think about as that a CEO challenge. as well. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, I was a CEO of three people is different from the CEO of fifty, mm-hmm. right? So that's an increasing challenge. Is like you become more and more the last person to find out um, about what's going on. 
Is there um, something you're doing about it, which actually helps transition the feedback? So whenever really needed, let's say, not just uh, pinging you about random stuff. You have to provide some, be vulnerable, right? Say, hey, I'm worried about this, or I'm, I, I'm concerned that this is going wrong. And I think also um, providing leadership in terms of giving the feedback, and then um, a little bit of public rewarding for getting the feedback. Like when I get sh feedback shared with me privately, I'll often tell everyone else what the feedback was and that I'm working on it, right? So that I'm giving some social proof that it, it was the feedback was given to me. Um, and then uh, now people know that I was, I've received the feedback well, that I admitted the problem and I'm working on it, right? So hopefully they'll feel more comfortable giving me other feedback in the future. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think the biggest opportunity is these people challenges because I think if we're able to actually communicate to one another uh, how we, we think that the other person can improve and then they actually take it to heart and improve, then we're all improving a lot. And that's a, a really big deal. I like it. Um, do you think remote work is the future or at least it's going to be much a bigger part of uh, the future more than we know it today? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in this. I think it's just a gigantic advantage. There's people who work here that are able to raise their families in a, you know, a different part of the area where, of the world where they want to live and they are still able to have a really interesting job. Right. So if we look at what's going on, you know, I'm in the Bay area here where the, we have a real housing crisis, right? There's a simple solution to that, which is build a lot more housing, but that just legislated away. There's no way that's happening here because of the, what the laws are set up. So well, that's great that there's lots of jobs here. It's also insanely expensive and maybe people don't want to do that. How can we take some of these jobs and, and spread things out a little bit more in other parts of the country, right? Mm -hmm. It's weird that we have like an immigration and a jobs problem at the same time. Um, so how do we, I think if we can bring some of the, the good jobs that are available here in, in the Bay area in San Francisco, New York, LA, some of the places where there's like tight job markets and bring them those jobs effectively to the places where there's not tight job markets. Uh, I think that's a win. That said, it's going to be really hard. I think you have to either be fully remote or not remote. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's hard to be partially remote. So I don't know how much you've dug into that, but I think, I feel like that's a pretty big challenge. I personally don't find or no, not speak to many companies who are actually partially remote. I find that most of them are really all remote and that's kind of a recurring tip which we're getting because uh, it can be really challenging. And I even spoke to uh, a person who changed and they were collocated and changed to completely distributed uh, as part of the process they've done as well. They did. Was it like, oh, okay, like everyone, the office is closed. Get out of here. <laughs> Right. Um, it was a process for them. So it actually was like a two, three year transition. It wasn't like a one day thing. Okay, guys, we're putting off the office. Um, and yeah, that person was fascinating for me. And was it successful? It was, yes. Yeah. So um, it, they've now been doing it right now for two years. And he said we're performing much better uh, due to all the benefits. And it was a free, I think it was like a two, three year transition for them. Yeah, just to really change the processes, how they're thinking, working, hiring all together. And then it was a more smoother transition for them. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, the remote thing is so great because I, I you know, my commute, I actually am in an office, but it's a mile from my house. So I get to have breakfast and dinner with my kids every day, at least That's when I'm in town. Yeah. And it's huge, right? I know some people work at home and they get breakfast, lunch, and dinner with their children or um, one person wanted to volunteer at a local homeless shelter, but the times that were available were only during the day. 
So maybe if they worked in a normal company, they have to sort of like sneak out and be gone for an hour and a half. And that's like people are looking at their watches, wondering where she went um, versus like no one here even notices. Maybe you just put a block on your calendar and, you know, the time gets made up. And um, I feel like it's really productive. There's not as much of the sort of like hallway, you know, wasted time that happens either. So, I mean, if you think about it, just the commuting, if you were going to do a 30 minute commute, 200 days a year. 30 minutes each way. It's 200 hours. Oh man, if you that's think a of a standard 40 hour yeah. work week, it's five months or five weeks. So it's a massive amount of personal time given back to you. Yeah. Um, if you compound it over years, it just gets one more. That's right. Yeah. So I think that um, it's, it's better. It's a really a big win for uh, everybody, the employees and the, and the company. I completely agree. Um, Chris, is there any advice which you may give to, uh, maybe SaaS founders or people who are founding companies by listening in and wishing to start and grow their business. I know uh, you also had an exit as well. You sold another business. That was something I noticed when I was doing some prep work. So I'm wondering if you have any advice maybe you would give, maybe in another language, maybe something you would give yourself even just a few years back. Sure. So, well, so I think there's, I'm really passionate about SaaS businesses, but then um, just businesses in general, so I guess where I'd go is at the beginning, you have to be very, you always have to be very customer focused and help, like, what are you doing that's adding value, right? There's this whole idea of product market fit. It's critical. You have, if you're not adding value, it's going to be really hard to scale anything that's not, that's based on just selling, you know, uh, things that are not something people want to buy. So you'll have to develop what the thing, yeah, add value to your customer. And then, with SaaS businesses specifically, you just have to be really patient, right? They take a long time to build up the MRR, but then as you build things up, um, they start to becoming incredibly rewarding and huge amounts of momentum. And my my number one page of the SaaS playbook for me is like, kill your fleet plan and raise your price. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this a bunch of times and the free plan ends up, you have to have the reason the free plan has to be something the customers have to add value to the other people that are not free in order for them to be viable. And then the price raising thing, if you just look at the trend of all the companies that have been successful in SaaS, they just keep raising their price more and more and more because what ends up happening in SaaS is that 80% of the money comes from the very large customers. And then, you know, less of it comes from the smaller customers, but that's still an important source of revenue. And you can look at this all the way up to some large public company like Atlassian. They still have, they have no sales staff, but they still um, get a huge percentage of their money from enterprise companies. Or even something like MailChimp does too. That's great. Um, I love it. Um, you also have some very amazing clients which you show on your website, which you probably in, are giving service to. And I saw it includes Facebook. It's one of the biggest companies in the world. I'm wondering if you can talk just a bit about it. How did you land Facebook as a client? Uh, uh, friends, I'm in the Bay Area. So that was like a really early small project that I did for them. Um, so that was a friend of mine that hired me for a project for Facebook. And um, they're not an ongoing business because like A-B testing is at the core of the strategy of Facebook. Right? Yeah. If you go, there's a Masters of Scale podcast I really like. I love it and, as well. I heard yeah, it. Mark Zuckerberg's on there, like essentially saying the core strategy of Facebook is to learn as much as they can about the customer through A-B testing. So if that is the core of their strategy, it's not something you should ever outsource, right? <laughs> and they don't. Um, so that, that project was 
you know, coming up with some ideation for them, right? Like how do we, I think the plan of the project was, how do we get people to accept push notifications? Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got lots of other ones that aren't even on our website um, that are, you know, not too far off in size, um, similar size. And uh, I've built the business not by my amazing marketing, but instead by doing good work for the customer. So what ends up happening is we do a great job. Someone tells their friends or um, even with like we work closely with Optimizely, right? So the Optimizely folks see us that we do a great job and then they bring us to their other customers that might be struggling. Um, I think the partnership thing actually from a SaaS standpoint is undervalued a lot, right? So what you'll see is all enterprise SaaS requires some degree of professional services on top of it. So it's best for a SaaS company to not do those services themselves, but instead to have a partner do it. And that keeps the service quality high and lets the company focus on their core product. So we've seen a bunch of this work out, like Salesforce has got a really strong partner on network, Marketo, Atlassian, all these companies have really strong uh, partnerships on top of them. And so um, when we are in there helping companies run their testing program, they'll be very successful because if they're not, they'll get fired. Whereas if they have to do it internally, you know, there may be some incentives that doesn't, that don't match up. And these are actually pretty hard things to run because it's a combination of product management and marketing and and engineering. Um, And so uh, I think that for enterprise SaaS companies doing, uh, having partners involved actually is a key success metric. Yeah, no, it's such a golden nugget just to treat and give the best service possible and mouth to mouth, uh, you can grow through this way. Yeah, no, I mean, we've, I sort of joke about it because if I'm like a NFL quarterback, like uh, if I get, if I get injured and I'm out of the game, there's 50 people waiting to take my job, right? <laughs> um, very cool. Um, Chris, we're getting close to the end of the show. I thought we can wrap it up with a few uh, personal fun questions. Are you up for it? Sure. So what's a fun or exciting thing you've done the last uh, two weeks? Um, I just went to New York and Atlanta and um, uh, visited a bunch of customers. So that was really fun. Walked around New York City and I had this day where I was starting the Upper East Side and then we took a bus down Fifth Avenue and saw like every landmark in New York, it seems like. Uh, and then walked around George Washington Park. Um, or I think it's Washington Square Park, sorry. Um, and then the next day I was in Atlanta and they have these bird scooters that are all over <laughs> all over in San Francisco. They just landed in Atlanta. So I took one of those to a business meeting that I thought was kind of funny. So <laughs> that was good times. Um, what's the first thing you do when you start your work day? I check my email. My wife hates it, but that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's your favorite reading material? Um... Let's see, favorite reading material. I like to read these business books. I don't, I don't read that many novels, but I do like to read it's like this Prime to Perform or the hard thing about hard things, like typical sort of entrepreneurship books. I just enjoy reading it. And so hmm. maybe I should diversify, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, where can people find you online and where can people maybe find zero metrics if they're also thinking uh, about really optimizing and working over zero? Yeah, chrometrics.com. Uh, my email is chris at chrometrics.com. Um, you can see in my little green screen background here how to spell chrometrics. 
Um, so yeah, I'm not hard to find online. Um, so yeah, email me anytime, Chris at Chrometrics. Sounds good. Well, Chris, I appreciate you taking the time and joining us today and kind of talking more about uh, the strategies and uh, tactics of uh, how you make Chrometrics work from a remote perspective. So uh, thank you very much for coming to the show. Sure thing. I love it. Uh, I'm really super passionate about all the remote work and obviously the, the CRO stuff. So I'm happy to talk about it. Thank you. Small quest before you leave. So if you enjoyed the show, we would really appreciate to receive a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. That can really help. And we also would love to hear any feedback that you have. Anything else you want us to ask anyone coming to the show, anything you want to change, improve, add, or something you like, really any feedback, we really, really appreciate it.